there. Welcome back to another episode of my show. I'm Father Roderick, and I'm recording this on a beautiful, gorgeous day. We went from winter weather just a week ago to almost summertime. It's insane. Blue sky, sunshine, it's warm outside. What a day. But at the end of this day, I well, it's not really the end, but it's uh, kind of uh, the late afternoon that I'm recording this. I do want to take some time to bring you a new episode of my podcast, <clears throat> even though I've been insanely busy these past few weeks. Uh, if you've been following me over the last months, you know that uh, there, there was quite a bit of uncertainty as to um, where I would live in the next, you know, couple of months, um, whether I would stay here or move. Well, the, the decision has been made. I move, I'm moving. Um, I'm currently in talks with, uh, another location, um, but that's not ready yet. It won't be for, uh, at least a couple of months. So, uh, and I have to move before the 1st of April. So that's even, you know, before uh, the, the, the Paschal Tridium. You can imagine that having only, what is it now, uh, four weeks left, um, it is a race against the clock to get everything ready. And, uh, and since I cannot uh, move into this new place, it's actually not even formalized yet. So I'm awaiting that. It's looking good, but still. And then um, I, I have to still find a transitional, a place where I can stay uh, before I can move to my more definitive home. And in the meantime, as you can imagine, I still need to do a lot of work. I'm, I'm currently uh, uh, still uh, filming my new season on Dutch national TV, uh, which is still about, I still have to do 12 episodes. That is a lot. Uh, thankfully, I don't have to do everything alone I uh, asked someone to uh, to uh, to help me with that and um, well I hope that that is gonna work um, but but still I, I will have to uh, um, go and, and film so today this morning I was in a town called Amstelveen which is very close to Amsterdam it's kind of south of Amsterdam Amsterdam is called after the name of Amsterdam comes from the river, the Amstel. And so this is a village um, that is almost encapsulated by, by the city of Amsterdam. And there's a huge Catholic community, or there used to be a, a big Catholic community there, and a, 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 an ambitious priest um, in 18 something, 1890, I think it was like at the towards the end of the 19th century, uh, decided that he wanted to have a big church. So he hired the best architect that we had at the time, Kuipers, who also designed uh, and or uh, made the, the, the plan and the, the yeah, designed uh, the um, uh, central station in Amsterdam, if you've ever seen that. And also the museum, the big museum, uh, the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam, where you've got all the Rembrandt stuff. Um, and so he, so he was very, very um, popular at the time, and a, a, one of one, one of the best architects that, that that we had in previous few centuries. And so um, he designed this huge church. They built it, even though it was just a small village. And then uh, immediately things started to go wrong because the the tower, um, like there was this this um, 
the, the tip of the tower actually in a storm was blown off the rest of the tower and landed in the backyard of the priest who had slept through the whole thing. So in the morning he woke up, looked from his probably kitchen window and saw that like the tower was now upside down in his backyard. So they designed another tower, rebuilt it, and then everything seemed to be okay for the time being. But in 2018, in September... The after they had renovated the church for six years, and this was a huge renovation because the, the church is built on kind of unstable ground, and so they had to redo all the funda- foundations, and part of the building had already started to um, kind of become disjointed, so it was, it was costly and very, very um, difficult to, to repair everything and to restore it. After six years, the, the church had been closed for six years as well. The whole thing was ready. And they were about to launch festive concerts and whatnot. They just had had a meeting uh, with all the volunteers that had worked for years on renovating the church. And that night, or that evening, um, there was a short circuit in uh, one of the newer parts. You know, they had redone the entire electricity. And so apparently one of the switches that controlled the LED lights um, caused a fire and the entire middle part of the church burned down. The entire roof. It was actually very similar to what happened in Paris, if you remember those images. Now, of course, the cathedral in Paris was a lot larger, but it was the same kind of fire. So the entire roof, of course, is made out of wood and it was bone dry because the church was so old. And so that went up in flames. Fortunately, thankfully, the tower was spared. And so since the tower had survived the fire, all the people of that town decided, we have to rebuild this. We are going to rebuild this. They decided that like almost on the spot. And that's what they've been doing for two and a half years now. And so for my TV show this morning, I went there and uh, got a tour of how far they had come and how much work still needs to be done. And also how they are trying to you know keep people enthusiastic about the about the restoration and of course they they had insurance thankfully so they can use that insurance money to rebuild uh, but as you can imagine the damage was way bigger than what insurance will uh, will compensate for and so they have been coming up with all sorts of activities and events and ideas even so we we, we went to sell some chocolate bars. <laughs> there happens to be a big chocolate factory. I mean, how cool is that? A town that has its own chocolate factory. Yep, I'm a fan of Roald Dahl. <laughs> and uh, that sounds like a dream to me. But anyway, the people in charge of the chocolate factory was like, how can we help? And so they are now selling these big, beautiful, tasty chocolate bars in order to raise money for the you know the remainder of the restoration. It was a very impressive day, very exhausting, because we've been climbing up in the ins- the in- in- innards of the church are filled with scaffolding, like completely filled. You can't even walk there um, because, of course, the entire roof had collapsed. And so in order to rebuild the roof, you have to build, uh, like you have to fill the church with scaffolding so, so you can reach the, the rooftops. The other thing that was very interesting to learn was that since this church was built in the 18, well, in the 1900, well, actually 1800s, 19th century, a lot of the knowledge, of course, is no longer available. The, 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 
the people that designed the church, that built it. You don't have people anymore that, that know how to do this stuff. So they, had to, they basically had to reinvent how to build an old neo-Gothic church. And uh, so I've been interviewing the um, leader of the, of the project, and he said, we're learning so much. And we are uh, also, it's, it's, for us, it's so fascinating to see how they built this church and to be able to, to, to rebuild a church uh, of this caliber in this style, you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, and so they were, like, super excited to be involved in this project. That is just one of the 12 episodes that still has to be made, or still have to be made. And um, so the next couple of weeks, I'll be filming at least two or three episodes per week. I also have to pack my stuff, and I have to come up with a solution also technical solutions what kind of equipment can i take with me wherever i stay for the for the next couple of months so that i can continue my work it is uh yeah i'd rather do something else let's put it that way but uh well it is what it is so uh, we're gonna try to make the most of it so uh, if sometimes i seem to disappear or <laughs> there are not that many updates as you are used to this is what's going on. So hopefully you'll, um, uh, you'll, you'll uh, grant me some of your patience and it's all going to be okay, but it might take a few months before the dust has settled down. All right, and with that, it is time you for our... You know what's our, going on? Well, this is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Okay, that was actually the new segment jingle that I had to... I had to press that button like uh, 10 minutes ago. Anyway, of course, there's also lots of stuff happening in the rest of the world. I don't know about your, your country or where you live, here in the Netherlands, we're still not uh, over the, the pandemic, of course. Well, I guess there's almost nowhere in the world. Maybe Australia and New Zealand, they seem to have a pretty good grip on the situation. But in most parts of the world, it's still, you know, pretty dramatic. We have started, of course, vaccination, but that will still take months. Uh, my dad has been vaccinated. I'm so glad. Uh, as you know, my dad is suffering from dementia. He's in a, uh, in a, in a home where they take care of him um, and they had several outbreaks earlier in the year or last year also and so we've been very worried about the about the situation um, but thankfully now his entire department has been vaccinated so well he just received uh, i think his second vaccination yesterday or the day before yesterday so it will probably still you know take a few weeks for for the vaccine to fully deploy itself and so that he's uh, entirely safe at least for the time being um, that is a, that's a huge relief I'm ho I hope my mom can also get vaccinated soon and then we will probably get vaccinated much later um, you know that's one of the upsides of having had COVID is that I still have plenty of antibodies so it's very very unlikely that I catch it again that doesn't mean of course that I shouldn't be careful because I may not get COVID but I may still be able to transmit it. So, huh. There's been uh, quite a bit of research, of course, done everywhere. 
uh, as to what this will, what the effects will be of the pandemic on our social life, on our economy, and also on our churches. And it's interesting that uh, one of those researchers found here in the Netherlands that uh, a lot of people that still go to church and say that they are Christian, um, that actually a, a very large percentage of those people say that when COVID is over and the pandemic is is gone, they will just continue as before. So they will continue to come back to their churches. That is actually not the case for a lot of Catholics. So there's a very marked difference between Protestants and Catholics in our country. A lot of the Protestants say, well, you know, this doesn't really affect my faith, whereas a lot of the Catholics are like, well, yeah, we kind of found other stuff to do on Sunday morning. Um, maybe they didn't go to church anyway. Uh, but I think this is going to have a pretty big effect on uh, the st already dire situation of the Catholic Church in my country. Well, again, what are you going to do? It is what it is. I actually really don't like to say that, but it is also acceptance is part of the solution. You first have to just take the situation as it is, and then that's not the only... It's not re uh, resigning to the situation. The next step is... So, given the situation that we didn't cause, that they, nobody wanted this, what are we going to do about it? And how can we continue? Or maybe, what is the new direction that we should take? That is true for churches post-pandemic. Post it's also true for my personal life right now. Like, there are some big changes ahead. Uh, there's not much that I can do about that, but I can still focus as much as possible on finding solutions. To, to, to try to deploy my creativity so that I can make the most out of the situation. And that is not always easy because we no, none of us like change. We, we, we're usually pretty comfortable with the status quo. Change makes us sometimes anxious. It challenges us. It, change also always uh, demands that we put some energy into adapting. Um, so it's much more comfortable to just leave things as they were. But that is also a risk. Um, and for the, for churches in particular, I think it is very risky to kind of just wait it out. That's the worst thing you can do. Uh, if you look at the earliest beginnings of the church, the, the, the gospel, what Jesus did, what the apostles did afterwards, what the early church did, that was a situation that was constantly changing the church was constantly on the move most of the apostles were travelers they didn't stay put and just build a church and then open the doors and then we'll see what happens no even paul even though he lived for years in corinth uh still traveled and uh and tried to uh you know, get other people enthusiastic. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't work. That's also something that's very reassuring that even a guy like the Apostle Paul wasn't always successful. And sometimes was for years was trying to, you know, make some changes and, and, and try to convince people and it just didn't catch on. Um, I think it's, it's, it's probably, imp well, Jesus knowing, of course, what would happen in history, I think deliberately said at one point, if people don't want to hear of you and resist, don't force it. Just, you know, 
get the dust off your sandals and and move move along just go elsewhere just try it again so it's this never resign to something that doesn't work out the way you hoped it would uh, but also doesn't don't stop don't just walk away and give up but go elsewhere and try again that's how we grow in life we 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 never learn to walk without stepping <laughs> to putting one foot before the other falling and then trying again that's how we learn to swim that's how we learn to use the computer that's how we learn to play video games it's all yeah you got to put some effort in it and if you do it often pays off sports same thing you cannot run a marathon if you don't get off the couch and run the first five miles even though that is very painful but in the end you'll be glad that you did that so that's what i keep telling myself in all these changes, worldwide changes, global changes uh, caused by the pandemic or much more smaller scale uh, personal changes, take it as a challenge to get moving, start a new adventure, uh, do your best to turn it into something that is positive, something that will uh, help you grow and something that will... Um, make your life richer instead of poorer and with that <laughs> you're not like movie movies time. they're predictable like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and darth vader is luke's father not liking movies is like not liking puppies they're fine i just get bored and never make it to the end you know you need a movie education you need a movication i'm gonna give it to you It's time to talk about movies and TV shows. I have been watching... Finally, I watched uh, Wonder Woman 84, or Wonder Woman 1984. I'm not sure what the official title is, because on posters you often see WW84, um, which is a sequel to the original Wonder Woman movie, which everybody seemed to love, uh, especially compared to the kind of dark, grim DC movies that we were used to. Wonder Woman and later Shazam to me, were, that's much more the kind of story that appeals to me. Um, now, DC right now with Warner has always been kind of going in all sorts of directions. Now we get the Zack Schneider cut of Justice League. Uh, it's probably going to be pretty grim and dark again. Um, so I was, I was interested to see what they would do with, Wonder Wo with the sequel to Wonder Woman. This movie being having been so successful... Is this going to be the start of a more kind of upbeat, hopeful approach to the DC superhero universe? Um, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't have to be like Marvel. In fact, I kind of like that these two franchises are so different. Um, but I think the world is pretty dark enough, is, is, an, is dark enough <laughs> to, to not put superheroes in that dark mood uh, as well i think one of one of my biggest issues that i have with the way that they are telling these dc stories is with superman who is this messianic archetype who is a visitor from another reality another planet who has superhuman powers and who gives hope to a world that needs hope that transcends you know our own reality and 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 so in many ways, Super Superman to me was almost a kind of a 
I don't know, a, a, a metaphor of, of, well, maybe not a metaphor, but it's, it's kind of a story version of, of, the, of the hope that I find in my faith. And so when all of a sudden Superman himself becomes bad and evil and selfish and violent, I'm thinking the story loses its purpose. You know, I can, I can watch other movies that will make me depressed. <laughs> I turn to superheroes to actually, you know, find some optimism. Uh, and even though it's just a, a story or a fairy tale, we need to tell each other these stories of hope just to, you know, keep the hope in ourselves alive. Anyway, um, Wonder Woman 84 was a weird movie. Um, the, the st- I liked the beginning of the movie. It was like we were back on that, you know, in the world that she comes from, and there's this Olympic uh, uh, thing going on. I, I, I think they must have thought back then, this was, of course, planned way before COVID, that we would have the summer, the Olympic summer games right now. And so maybe that is why the movie starts with this Olympic event. And then it quickly, completely changes. You've got this, you're introduced to the villain, even though he's not really, a well, he's a bit of a villain, but also a victim in a certain way, um, who kind of gets the power to grant wishes. Um, then we, we see this first action scene, which is taking place in a mall of all places. It, it had vibes of, of um, Stranger Things, the last season of Stranger Things, where also you know the finale was taking place in this big shopping mall. Um, but it was such a downgrade from the kind of stuff that we saw in the first Wonder Woman movie. This was kind of run-of-the-mill, disjointed action stuff and didn't really... I don't think it had anything to do with the rest of the movie. And that was an, a constant issue that I had with the story. The further it went, the less... It made sense, and it was just a hodgepodge of things. I, I wonder if, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this story had had many, many rewrites. And some things felt really forced. Um, I liked seeing uh, Pablo Higaldo, Hidalgo, never know how to pronounce his name, the actor who also plays the Mandalorian, Hidalgo, right? Anyway, he he's a, he plays a totally different character here, which is kind of cool to see a familiar face and yet a totally different persona. Um, I I think I well, I I like what the the message they, that they were trying to convey in the sense that you know if if every wish would be granted, the world would be a mess because you also have to restrain yourself. You you can't take up all the space you have to share it with others and so even though our personal wishes may be very selfish we have learned over time that our wishes are limited and that we have to kind of balance things out with what other people want that is what democracy is all about it's kind of the balance of the force um and the moment you remove those boundaries and people can wish for anything they want the world turns into hell, basically. So I kind of like that moral aspect of the story. But it was spun out way too long. This movie is like two and a half hours long. And I think you could easily have cut it down to 90 minutes. And I think the movie would actually have been better. The, the second peeve that I, the second problem I have with this movie is, why Wonder Woman? 
This movie has nothing to do with Wonder Woman. Yes, she is in it. But her role is completely negligible. Actually, she has no imp- she has no role in how the story ends. Well, yeah, she she makes a sacrifice at one point, but it was a sacrifice of something that was silly to begin with. And but then she is completely powerless when when it really comes to okay, there is a massive crisis. The world is going to implode. Wonder Woman does not save the day, which sounds like so the opposite of what a superhero movie should be about. Anyway, but was it a bad movie? No, it was you know enjoyable, but also forgettable. And what what you know be- bewilders me the most is that it is such a downgrade from the quality of the first. Wonder Woman movie, even though Wonder Woman 1 also had weak points, and especially the kind of final confrontation, I thought it was pretty lackluster, but, you know, it was definitely better than this one. Apparently a third sequel is already planned and greenlit, so maybe that is how they can, I don't know, turn this into something, I don't know, wrap it up. It's not really, really a trilogy, but... Yeah, I think that Wonder Woman deserves better. Uh, is there something else I wanted to briefly mention? WandaVision continues to be excellent on, on Disney+. Plus. Um, every episode adds more of what we're used to. I know that many of you have tried to watch WandaVision and were like, well, I don't get it. Why am I watching this? This is not the Marvel the Marvel storytelling that we're used to, but over time things become clear and you get reveal after reveal, you know, what is truly going on. And it's going to be fun to go back and rewatch the series with all your knowledge that you have now and see how they set it up. That is something that is always fun to do. If you know how the story ends, go back and see how you missed a lot of clues. And this was very well planned out, I think, story-wise. So I can't wait to see how this is going to end because we're already approaching the end of the series. And then, of course, there's much more to look forward to. You've got the Winter Soldier series. Um, was there something else? Well, oh, yeah, the, they just announced the... Um, uh, I was going to say the Wild Batch, but that's not what it's called. The 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 Bunch, the... the not the Brady Bunch, the, the, the series about the clone troopers. Uh, that's a, the spinoff of Clone Wars, which is a limited number of episodes. Uh, I forgot what it was called. Oh, well. <laughs> I've had a tough day. Uh, but anyway, it, that is going to um, premiere, I think, on the 4th of May. So May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. Star Wars Day. Um, and Disney is also uh, conti- continuing to build up their uh, their Disney Plus offerings. Um, in the U.S., of course, you get Hulu and maybe even sports. I'm not sure. Here in this part of the world, they added a new channel called Stars, and that contains everything that is not really, you know, what people associate with Disney. So you, you can even lock it with a passcode in case you are using Disney Plus with your family, but on on Stars you will find, you know, Die Hard and Borat, and uh, I think they even moved The Simpsons over to Stars, even though, well, I can see that Simpsons for some parents may be something that they wouldn't like their kids to watch 
you know, at a young age or too young of an age. Um, but, you know, it's not family guy. <laughs> so, uh, but it's, it's, it's cool to see that you get a lot more content. I was actually surprised to see how many great films are, are on that service. So that's going to keep me busy for a while. Oh, that's another thing I need to think about. If I'm moving, I can't, well, if, I, if I'm going to stay for a few months in a temporary place, I cannot take my TV with me. And I'm so spoiled by watching all this stuff on a big TV. And I don't like watching uh, movies or TV shows on an iPad or a phone because it's just such a small screen. Maybe, maybe I'm going to take my, uh, uh, my, I was going to say my face, Facebook VR glasses, my Oculus, the Oculus Quest uh, with me. Because in Oculus, you have actually uh, an Amazon Prime app and a Netflix app. I'm not sure about Disney Plus, but at least Netflix and Prime, they have their own players or apps. And I particularly like, the Netflix app is cool, but it's a bit limited uh, in that the only environment in which you can watch movies is a ski lodge for some reason. I don't know. I You'd think that a company this big can give you some options, but they don't. And I think the other option is the void. You're just in the empty space um i was i was fascinated by what amazon did with their prime video vr application where you have t a ton of options the, it's all very cheerful and it's a really nice environment to be in and i, I remember when they launched that app i was so frustrated frustrated that, that it was only for amazon prime members in north america i was like come on do you want my money or not? And so they finally enabled it for uh, European Prime viewers as well. Um, so I I need to check if there's already a Quest VR option for, for Disney. If that's the case, then I can continue to watch movies on the big screen. Actually, a bigger screen than in real life. Long live VR. Oh, it's called The Bad Batch. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Catholics rock! Alrighty, it's time to talk a little bit about uh, Catholic stuff. Things you may wonder about, you just don't get it. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today I want to talk a little bit about well, Lent, because that's a time that we're in as Catholics, and about penance. Man! You guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. And I know some of you are, that are watching this live, they're like, wait a minute, this is a podcast. This is not Valheim. I've been playing this video game, this Viking game, uh, and, and I've been streaming that on my YouTube channel lately. And for some reason, my Streamlabs OBS, even though I filled in all the fields for, you know, podcasting, reverted it back to Valheim. So if you're watching this because you hope to see me roaming around in a Viking landscape trying to survive skeletons, then have some patience. I will stream more Valheim later today, but yeah, right now it's podcasting time. Um, yeah, for some reason, the, the streaming software just logged me out, and I think that may have reset stuff. I don't know. My apologies. Anyway, uh, so it's Lent. Lent is a time of penance, and penance for many people, has a bit of a, I don't know, negative sound to it. Maybe I'm 
maybe it's just me, but I don't, if you ask me, penance or entertainment, I would go for entertainment. Penance does not sound like something fun. <laughs> it sounds like deprivation, like somberness. And in fact, one of the kind of general feelings that I've had, and I know I'm not the only one, is like, why do we even do Lent this year after, after COVID for a year? I mean, can't we just get a break? Why can't we just go straight from Christmas to Easter and then Pentecost and then back to Easter and eat more chocolate eggs? That's, I think that seems to be the sensible thing to do. Give people some hope, you know, just kind of tone it down. The world is somber enough. Just let's, let's skip penance. Let's skip Lent. I can't believe I'm saying that as a priest, but you know, that's kind of how a lot of you and I also sometimes feels like, hmm, maybe we should just kind of go with the flow and I don't know. But anyway, it's probably because we have kind of this maybe limited idea of what, what Lent is all about and what, what the word penance implies. Penance, the first thing comes to mind when I say penance is is... Um, something you do to punish yourself. Like maybe it's also because it used to be connected to the practice of confession, where at the end, the priest would tell you, as a penance, I will ask you to do this or that. So it's a bit of a, you know, something that may not be always fun, but it is meant to repair something you damage you've done or, uh, or help you to improve yourself. If the penance is, you know, I'd like you to say this prayer or something, then the hope is, of course, that that prayer will be good for you. So penance in itself is not just punishment. It's not just like, oh, you, you ran a red light, you got to pay 100 bucks. That's not what penance is all about. It is, well, the, the intent of penance is it's something that strengthens you, that you know, helps you grow. And sometimes, just like I said in the, intro, in the introduction, sometimes you need to, sometimes it hurts a little bit to grow. And you have to do stuff that maybe you're not inclined to do right away. But afterwards, you, you think, hey, I, I'm glad I did the, I, I'm glad I put in the effort. I'm glad I, I gave up on this or that, because look at me now. You know, one of the things that people associate with penance during Lent is, of course, fasting. Fasting is not something that most of us do for fun. If it were up to me, I'd go to Kentucky Fried Chicken almost every day because I just love Kentucky Fried Chicken. I never go there. Why? Well, I kind of value my health as well. And I, because of this COVID winter, I'm too heavy and I want to kind of clear my arteries and, you know, get to my normal weight again and feel good. So I know that even though I love Kentucky Fried Chicken, I probably won't visit one of those restaurants anytime soon. Um, so that's, that's an example where depriving yourself of something, doing penance, actually serves a greater goal than just instant gratification. Maybe that is also why nowadays it's so much... Um, well, it's not something that we try to avoid... But it is something that, uh, well, we have trouble with because uh, I'm just trying to do two things at the same time. That's probably not the right thing. I noticed that I don't have a picture for this. I'm sorry about this. I, like, I should not even mention this on a, for my audio listeners. But I have these cool photos that I can project 
on the green screen behind me. And I thought I had like all the pictures ready for, for different segments and I forgot about this one. So I get so confused when I have to do two things at the same time. It's like when I'm filming, I'm often doing that by myself. And so I have to conduct an interview, but at the same time, I have to film it. And then, of course, you know, these modern cameras, they've got lots of settings. And if it's like a sunny day, you, you, <laughs> there's so much that you need to uh, keep an eye on. And, and very often when I start to f mess around with the camera, I forget my questions. And <laughs> I'm like on autopilot trying to keep the other person talking while I'm adjusting the camera. It's not ideal. Okay, sorry about that. I was talking about penance. Um, we are so used to instant gratification. Most of our social media are fine-tuned to serve us what we want at this very moment. A lot of our society helps us to consume whatever we want. If you, you know, Nowadays, restaurants are sometimes open 24 hours a day. They're fast food restaurants. Maybe Kentucky Fried Chicken, I'm not sure. I'm not sponsored by them, by the way. Hmm. I don't know, I'm thinking about it. No, but um, you could basically get anything you want any time of the day, any day of the year. Um, th this th Penance and depriving yourself from something is so much the opposite of that that it's not the most popular thing to do. What really helps me to understand penance as it is is to see that it's not just deprivation. And it's also not just something you do or you deprive yourself from to reach a greater goal. There's even something more important uh, to this whole penance thing. And that is ultimately all about relations, uh, about strengthening relationships. Now, that is something that... that always appeals to me because we cannot live without relationship we we need our family friendships our you know colleagues and now that we have to keep our distance and many of you are working home just like me you miss the people you miss those social interactions and we value them maybe even more during this pandemic than before it um the uh Catechism of the Catholic Church was kind of like a summary of what Catholics believe and exp explaining it, uh, says this about penance. The interior penance of, Christian, of, of a Christian can be expressed in many and various ways. Uh, scripture and the fathers insist, and when it says scripture, that's the Bible, and fathers are talking about the fathers of the church, the church fathers, the, these, these theologians from the first few centuries that have written down and, and thought about so much uh, that has to do with, uh, you know, Catholic doctrine developing itself. So scripture and, and the fathers, so both Bible and tradition, um, insist on three forms of penance. Number one, fasting. Number two, prayer. So prayer is not just... Prayer is not always fun. Prayer can always be can also be um, just trying to shut up for a while, <laughs> trying not to have your life not be about you for a change, and try to open your heart, open your mind for whatever God wants to give you, tell you, do with you. And that's not always instant gratification. 
everyone who has tried to pray or meditate knows that it can be hard. And that even though you want to, there are just days that you you have such a hard time staying focused and, and staying open and, and, and not doing something else or thinking about something else. So prayer can be a penance. Um, and then the third form of penance is almsgiving. So that is sharing your wealth with people that don't have the same wealth as you. So it's, it's giving something that you own so it becomes uh, the possession of someone else. It can be food, can be money, almsgiving, can be any form of support that you give to someone in your immediate vicinity or can be on the other side of the world. It doesn't really matter. But these three forms, according to the catechism, express a conversion. Now, convertere in Latin means basically change. Convertere, uh, changing directions, for instance. You, you, conversion has to do with, um, well, going into a different direction. Maybe sometimes even turning around 180 degrees. But it's a conversion in relation, and that's the key word, to oneself, to God, and to others. So fasting is primarily something that has an impact on your the relationship that you have with your own body and maybe also your own spirit. So you you do that because you help to pay more it helps to pay more attention to who you are that you don't need all that stuff or all that food that it can too much of something can also destroy you. It's discovering that if you deprive yourself from something you'll live and sometimes you'll actually feel better without it. Think of the whole minimalism movement, you know, is people f- sometimes experience it to as as a, a liberation to not have all that stuff anymore and not having to worry about making money to just buy more stuff it's insane some people buy an expensive car to go to work but they go to work with that car so they can pay for the car how crazy is that if you think about it anyway so that's relationship with yourself now of course prayer is your relationship with god and Prayer is literally changing direction. You were just busy, busy living your life, and then you just sit or kneel or stand or go for a walk, and you convert your mind and your attention and your time to God instead of to whatever you were doing or want, wanted to do. So that's uh, And that's good for a relationship. We know this from personal experience. If you... Spend more time with your loved one if you <laughs> change course and and step in the direction of people you're friends with or acquainted with or, or family with. That strengthens that relationship. People appreciate it when you do that. So does God. So that's good for our relationship with God. And then finally, almsgiving. That is helping us to grow or to... Train our friendship muscle. Friendship is something that is, of course, sometimes it's a gift. You, you encounter people and immediately there's this click and you're like, wow, I, I'm so happy that these people came into my life. But friendship is also something that you can build. And some relationships started like that. Like, 
who's this guy? Who's this girl? I don't know. I don't know. And then, hmm, actually, we have some stuff in common. And then bit by bit, oh my gosh, I think I'm madly in love. I want to spend the rest of my life with that person. So <laughs> friendship is, because it's a relationship, it can also evolve and it can grow. And almsgiving, it's basically giving something away to someone else, is training for all sorts. It's not just about that one person that you're helping, but it helps you become more turned to turn yourself towards others, to invest in others. So almsgiving, you could see that as an investment in people that you want to be friends with. And that person may not be likable at all, or you may not be likable at all. But the moment you start giving, and I should add to that also the moment you learn to receive, that is when friendship starts to grow. Receiving... Alms receiving can be just as hard as alms giving and sometimes even harder because we're so trained to think about about relationships in terms of economy. It's like you give me something, but didn't you probably want something in return? That's how a lot of our relationships, our business relationships and economic relationships work. Sometimes we have a hard time believing that someone just gives something out of the goodness of his or her heart and doesn't want anything in return. And if we have been treated badly in the past and we have sometimes wounds or scars, that can sometimes even block us from truly accepting someone's gift. Or it can block us in terms of, of giving because we're so afraid that if we give, we lose. And people have taken away stuff from us in the past. You, you've got uh, this um, a pathology of people that are hoarding stuff in their lives and their houses are sometimes just filled to the brim with stuff. There's almost always a reason for that, something that happened in their life, something, you know, they may have grown up in poverty or they've been robbed or whatever. And then from that, you get this behavior like, I cannot let go. It's dangerous to let go. I feel insecure to let go. And Well, almsgiving is training and, and wants to help you discover that this form of penance will make it easier over time to give and to experience the joy of giving. Because if there's one thing that makes us happy, it's sharing, it's giving. It's in our DNA. That's how God created us. God is the giver. He gave everything he has and still continues to give everything he has. He keeps nothing for himself. That is what, that's the definition of God. It's self-giving love. So the sacrifice of Jesus is totally in line with that. It's a total sacrifice. It's like I'm not going to give you an hour of my time. I give you my life. I, I die for you. <laughs> that, that's how far that goes. And so since God is, is the, our creator and we've been created to his image, we too, in, in our core, we are givers. We just forgot about it. And we <laughs> unlearned that incredible quality that we have to share and to give. And so Lent, in that respect, wants to help us, train us to become givers again and to become who we truly are meant to be. And that, of course, in the end, will, will make us happy, will, will make us, if you can be who you're supposed to be, that is what defines happiness. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. 
Am I the only one who did the reading? Time for our book segment. I am currently reading a fascinating book that is actually quite hard to get nowadays. I'm I still I'm not sure if there's a Kindle version. There is an audiobook version, and since I have this audiobook subscription service, uh, I can listen to it for well, not for free because I'm paying my monthly fees. But it is, uh, yeah. I, I remember I wanted to buy this book and I couldn't find it anywhere. And then the paper versions were out of print and super expensive. This book is called Save the Cat, the last book on screenwriting that you'll ever need. It's written by the late Blake Snyder, and it was a groundbreaking book when it came out. Very popular among filmmakers, <coughs> directors, film fans, uh, script writers, even book writers. There is uh, the, the, the formula of this book, what it describes, what it teaches you, can be applied to any type of for storytelling, maybe even game designers may learn from this so what is this <laughs> save the cat it is uh a funny title actually the book itself shows a cat hang hanging from a rope for some reason <laughs> it's become has become iconic this book is all about the ingredients that make for a good story so it's like a cookbook for people that want to tell stories and it teaches you the basics so how do you tell a good story? Well, it needs a certain amount of things. You can't just start babbling. Well, that will maybe entertain some people, but a good story keeps you on the edge of your seat. You want to know what's happening next. And there are certain rules that if you apply them, just like with cooking, that will always give you an acceptable and sometimes even tasty result. And if you break the rules, you're on your own. It's like cooking pasta without salt. You're on your own. Nobody does that. It is the, the, the rule that is sacred. You don't put pineapple on pizzas. It makes sense. Alliteration. Don't put pineapple on pizzas. <laughs> you have to do penance when you put pineapple on pizza. But anyway, ask any Italian. They will tell you I'm right. Uh... Once you know that rule, you know that if you want to make Italians happy, don't put pineapple on pizzas. But of course, you can always break the rule. Once you know the rule, you know you know what <laughs> you can experiment with it. So this book is not about well, you have to tell every story like this, but if you follow these rules, it will be a good story. Now, some people took this very far. And they took this book almost like a gospel, like every single story they told was following these steps. It's like with um, The Hero's Journey, which is a very kind of similar idea where you have these different steps on the way, on the road of, the, of a story about a hero. Um, Star Wars is all about the hero's journey. There are many movies that follow that to the letter. There are actually uh, quite a few movies that are structurally even timing wise identical to to a new hope for instance and they follow the story beats even jj abrams did that when he was making writing the sequels he followed the same hero's journey and you can juxtapose uh certain archetypes situations uh, things at stake sacrifices you can there 
parallel to what you see in A New Hope because he's just following the recipe. He knows that that is what, at the time, he thought Star Wars fans needed, and he delivered that. He gave them the recipe. It's like going back after 20 years to your favorite restaurant in Rome, and you pray that they still have that wonderful pasta califa that you ate there like on the evening of the election of the new pope and you that was the most rev- revelatory pasta you'd ever eaten and even though they're new owners you still hope they have the pasta califa on the menu and when once they give you the pasta califa and it tastes like the same you're like oh my gosh it is so good never change this i remember this is from real life i went to rome about a year ago, I think is before COVID. I don't even know why I was in Rome. Anyway, probably filming. I went to that restaurant, ordered pasta califa, and the waitress told me, um, we took it off the menu. And it's like, what? That was the only restaurant in the world where you could order that. It's like, you took my favorite pasta off the menu? I was like, Put the put the Italian switch on. Do I have any swear words that I can say as a priest? Uh, <laughs> like, so I was like, please go to the kitchen and ask the cook if he still remembers the recipe for pasta caliva. Because please, I'll pay you anything, but give me that recipe. So she she came back and she said, "Oh, the 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 cook was so uh, amused that you remember that recipe, and he he's gonna make it for you." And I was like, oh, my gosh. So she brought me the pasta califa, and it was done with the wrong pasta. It, it, <laughs> I think they used penne or something, and that to be spaghetti. Anyway, it was not the califa that I remembered. No, it had to be fusilli, fusilli and they used, I think they used spaghetti. I, I've completely blocked it out in my mind. I was like, this is not... This is not the recipe. This is the wrong pasta. I did. I was too happy that at least the sauce was the same. That I didn't tell them that it was not. This was not the recipe. They just made a mistake, a fatal mistake. It's the wrong pasta. And then uh, later, I went back to Rome to the same restaurant, and I, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if that evening that I was like. Please don't tell me you took the best pasta you serve off the menu. It was back on the menu. And it was done with the right pasta. So I was like, oh. Anyway, (laughs) this book, Save the Cat, is about, you know, this recipe that is great. And many movies follow it. But even great things can get boring over time. So rules are there. You have to learn the rules. But then you should always also allow yourself to break them. Otherwise, you know, you, you do good, but it doesn't become special. So, but you can only break the rules if you know the rules. There is a sequel to this book, Save the Cat at the Movies, I think it's called. I still have to listen to that one. And it shows you how this recipe for good storytelling has... has is the basis of almost any blockbuster movie of the past 30 years. And it is fascinating to watch. It's also, word of warning, um, once you see it, you cannot unsee it. Once you know the secret, 
Once you know how the pasta is cooked, you will recognize it in every single situation. And so for years, I've been watching movies because we were taught this. Uh, I think the first time I heard about Save the Cat was when I was still studying media in Rome, if I'm not mistaken. And once you learn to analyze movies and you see what they're actually doing, you, you, you're, uh, everything becomes predictable. It's like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Oh, now, of course, the hero, you think he has won or she has won, but there's going to be this last, this final disaster, and then everything crumbles, and the movie had built it up, and you have your hopes up high, and then at the very last moment, everything totally fails, and you feel like now it's over, but it's never over, like in any horror movie, you know? the bad guy or the monster is dead and then the girl or the boy who killed the monster turns his back to the monster what do you say when you see that don't turn your back it's it's still alive there's dead and it always there's always this final confrontation which is even more scary than anything that came before it and then when you have the, the final victory, it feels so much more gratifying because it, you, at one point you'd lost all hope and then hope is back on the menu. <laughs> that, those are just examples of that structure that is part of so many stories that we love. And we love it because it's like good pasta. You can always eat more of it. So anyway, Save the Cat by Blake... Snyder. I hope you can find it. It is, um, it's, it's a really, really, f it's the, the subtitle, the last book on screenwriting that you'll ever need. It's not an exaggeration. It is absolutely something that if, if you ever want to tell a good story, make sure you know those rules. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device, and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Well, not all technology stuff ends in disaster. I want to actually combine the two last segments of my show, science and, uh, and technology, because I need to talk about the Mars rover, about Perseverance. Oh my goodness, that was the coolest non-science fiction space thingy that I've ever seen. It was insane. The, the, the evening, it was evening here in the Netherlands, when the Mars rover finally started the landing procedure, I was glued to my screen. I was following NASA on, uh, uh, on YouTube, and it was the most riveting thing I've ever seen. Of course, it's not the first Mars rover to land on Mars, but this was definitely the most advanced landing. Plus, this new rover is full of cameras, and for the first time ever, they could film what was happening. And not in, like, very grainy, black-and-white, blocky stuff, like, what am I actually looking at? No! It's like high-definition, full-color, and even with sound later on, images from another planet it was fantastic and then the relief like of course you always have this black down blackout when the actual landing is taking place and the thing is like 
slowing down and heating up and whatnot. And then you see these people that have worked for years and years and years on this mission. And they're all sitting like with social distancing apart from each other. They can't hug, <laughs> which is so frustrating. And, and for seven minutes of horror, you're like, oh, if this goes wrong, imagine it's not just the money that you lose, but just the effort and the love of so many scientists and techn technicians. But as you know by now, it all went super well. And we have received... <laughs> like I was like the the movie they the video they posted of that whole landing, and you have that first person perspective of the rover being lowered by these ropes onto the surface of Mars, insanely cool, and then uh, a bit a little bit later, um, the first images were not very spectacular, but it was almost immediate. That was the cool thing. It was so direct. But they were black and white, and they were. It was actually done with the motion sensor cameras, or not motion sensor, but uh, proximity sensor cameras that are used for navigation. So those are the lowest quality cameras on board. And but later on, we got these super. Did you see that big panorama? That you can. It's like a three sixty panorama, and it is so detailed. You can zoom in forever. You can see these little rocks, and then you've got lots of stones there on the surface, full of holes, and you're wondering. Where are these holes coming from? This looks like an ocarina. Is this water? Is this wind? What caused it? <coughs> are these stones being eaten by a big rock monster? Um, it is so cool. And of course, the whole expedition is to try to find proof of uh, microscopically small signs of life, maybe bacteria or anything, because they have a very strong suspicion that that entire crater was had has been one time filled with water and if there's water does it mean that there may have been life on mars it is so fantastic i mean just having already the proof from previous missions to mars that there once was water on mars it now opens this possibility well if there's water and there has been life then maybe we can find it maybe we can prove that there has been life Oh, it is what what a great time to be alive. And now, of course, some people have been criticizing this Mars mission. I think even Greta Thunberg uh, has has said something like, "So we're spending all this money to fix, uh, well, not to fix. We're spending all this money on on visiting Mars. At the same time, we almost spend no money fixing our own planet. Our own planet. I'm not sure if she said that, but we know that if, if climate change accelerates, maybe one day planet Earth will be like Mars and there will be nothing left on this planet. I don't know. I, I think, yes, it is super expensive. At the same time, this is, this is what we are. We are curious people. We, we, we want to explore. We want to learn and, yeah, one rover more or less on Mars will not change our current situation in the world. It won't solve hunger. But we, we have learned so much from uh, space exploration in the past. And it has been such a catalyst for, for knowledge, for science, for discoveries. It's very hard to measure the importance of these kind of expeditions just on the basis of you know, are we going to find a rock or not? Uh, but I think 
it is discovery, exploration has always been part of our human history. And so I think it's the Catholic way to approach this is yes, it's is not either this or that. It is this and yes, please also that. So yes, we are now able to land a rover on Mars and it is insane what we've been able to accomplish. We I saw <laughs> appropriation of something that I had no role in. But anyway, mankind can do this kind of stuff. So let that be an encouragement to also look at our own planet and see if we can do something about you know, the, the biggest uh, problems there. Let's learn from our expeditions and apply it to our own planet. Um, yeah, that, that would be my, my approach. And with that, it is time to wrap things up. Thank you so much for joining me today and for the privilege of your time. For my patrons, I'll be back with another episode of Father Roderick to the Max. It's a little bit more personal show. Um, very much like this one, as you know, but also with completely different topics. This week, I'll be talking a little bit more about uh, my plans for uh, the upcoming move and how I hope to be able to continue my work. Talk a little bit about uh, MacBooks and video editing. I'll also divulge a few of my media production secrets. It's something that people always seem to be fascinated about. How do you do the stuff you do? What kind of equipment do I need? What software? Well, I think Father Roderick to the Max is, is a great platform for me to share some of my own discoveries. Um, and then, of course, I'll also talk a little bit about Valheim. This is amazing Viking game that is so much fun to play. And you can actually play it with other people as well. Yesterday, we uh, played with a few members of our community, of our Discord community. That was a lot of fun to finally hear the voices of people that we only know the screen names of. And, uh, and then to be in that same world, trying to build huts and survive the wild animals and monsters. It was, a, it was a ton of fun. Anyway, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Take care.